This morning, we are in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, and we're looking at verses 42 to 47. Um, And this morning, we're going to be finishing out uh, our series, A Church Aligned with God's Will. And we're going to look at A Church Aligned with God's Will experiences growth. And so let me read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47 to you, and uh, then we'll pray, and we'll dive in to today's message. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. To me in prayer. God, we thank you for this day and this opportunity for us to gather together, though virtually, Lord. We thank you for the technology that we have in order to accomplish this this morning so that, so that we might remain distanced from one another to remain safe, God. We pray for those who have been affected by the coronavirus, those in our own church, those who are sick and recovering. We praise you for those who have recovered, and Lord, we pray for those who have lost loved ones as well, that you might comfort them uh, during this difficult time. And Lord, this morning as we dive into this message, may you encourage us. May you spur us on, Lord. And God, may we as a church, aligned with your will, experience growth. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, recently I read about these giant redwoods that are just outside of San Francisco in the Armstrong Redwood National State Reserve. And and these redwoods, they they extend skyward over a football field in length. They have stood for centuries despite the the onslaught of winds that they receive on a a regular basis. And they've been able to, to sustain these storms, storm after storm after storm, year after year after year, because of their root system. Now, their root system, when you, when you initially look at it, you find that, that it only goes about 12 feet below the surface. And while 12 feet is, is not necessarily shallow, I mean, you might consider it it's shallow when, when you're considering how tall this tree is, over 100 yards in height, especially since these trees face fierce winds on a regular basis, you wonder, well, well how can that root system that, that is 12 feet underground, not shallow again, but, but how can a root system hold a tree 100 yards in height against massively fierce winds on a regular basis? Well, the giant redwoods, they're not standing on their own. If you were to scrape back the earth all, all around them, you, you would see that, that all of their roots are intertwined with one another, and they make up this huge network of roots. You see, the redwoods, they, they live in community 
with one another. They depend on one another for strength. What they could not do on their own, they're able to do as they're gathered together in community as those root systems are intertwined with one another. That's how they've stood for, for hundreds of years, how they've, how they've grown to be you know, over a football field in length and heights and, and just massive trees because they are intertwined with one another. They live in community with one another. And just like these redwoods, just like they need one another, we need one another as well. If you did not know that before the pandemic hit, hopefully you know that now. We were built for community and moments and, and seasons where we are not able to gather together with one another, much like today, really highlights the fact that we were built for community. And our desire for community with one another should not surprise us. I mean, we are created by a communal God. The doctrine of the Trinity tells us that, that our God is one in essence, but three in person. And, and how three persons can exist in one is a mystery. It's a mystery that I'm not seeking to solve here this morning. Rather, the reason that I bring up the idea of the Trinity is to say that our God is a communal God. He has existed in, in relationship forever, for all of eternity. And we are created in His image. And those who are created in His image, we are created to be relational beings as well, which means that, that we are to live in community with one another, which means that, that we need one another. We were built for community with one another. And Jesus desires that we live in community with one another. But not just any type of community. Jesus desires that his disciples live in authentic community. Now, authentic is, is a word that gets thrown around all of the time these days. I mean, you have authentic clothes and you have authentic shoes and bags and, and coffee shops and you have authentic whatever. You just throw authentic on it and you've got yourself a brand for the day. And it seems that everything, everyone wants to be authentic. But have you ever thought about what the word authentic actually means? I mean, it shows up all of the time in all of this marketing, but what does authentic actually mean? Well, when you look the word up in the dictionary, you find that, that one of the definitions that is used is, is the idea of genuine, and that's how I'm using this word here today. As Jesus' disciples, we are to be genuine. We are to be real. We are not to be counterfeit or fake. We should not have an ulterior motive that just floats below the surface that no one is able to understand. We are to be genuine. And what does it look like for us to be genuine? Well, in Acts 2.42 we read, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And this verse tells us what it looks like for us to be genuine or what it looks like for us to be authentic. And so let's look at the verse in a little bit more depth and we will, we will see the first idea that we can't encounter in this verse is the idea of devotion, right? And they devoted themselves, and we'll, we'll get on to what they devoted themselves here in a moment, but, but the idea of devotion is the first idea that we encounter in this verse. And my son Bryson, he is into Legos. And, and he's built all kinds of, of Lego creations over the last four or five, six months. You know, you walk into his room and we had to, we had to set up this area for him to, to display all of his creations because they were just taking over. Uh, and so he's built these creations over the last 
several months. And, and he's gotten to the point now where we really don't even have to help him build those any longer. We used to have to sit down with him and, and put everything out and follow the instructions step by step and show him how to do everything and help him put it all together. But we don't have to do that with him anymore. He can get out the instructions and he can follow them step by step by himself and he can put those toys together. And while that's impressive for a five-year-old, what's even more impressive is that all of these pieces that are needed to build each of these different creations are not, you know, sectioned off in their own Ziploc bag or their own container. I mean, they're all just pretty much in this one container together. And what he will do when he gets in what I like to call Bryson builder mode is, is he'll get back there in his room and you can hear him back there just, just churning through all of these Legos. He's just searching out piece after piece after piece as he's following those instructions in order to be able to put those Legos together. He is intensely devoted to that task. I mean, he'll be back there for hours on end. And that's what it looks like for us to be devoted. It looks like us approaching an activity with an intense and sustained effort over a period of time. That's what it means for us to be devoted. And devotion is what characterized the first church. And so to what were they devoted? Well, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to the breaking of bread and and the prayers. They they were devoted to all of these different things that they did together. These activities pointed to them living in authentic community with one another as they were devoted to them. Authentic community doesn't just involve us gathering together with one another to formulate business connections or participate in in social activities or gain cultural approval, at least in, in the church, right? Real authentic community in the church occurs when we genuinely share our lives with one another and we are singularly devoted to the task of making disciple making disciples. Authentic disciples who live in authentic community are not just in it for themselves. They genuinely care about those that they attend service with. They genuinely care about those that they have covenanted together with as a church. They genuinely want to see other people built up in the faith. They genuinely want, they genuinely want to use their God-given gifts to minister to one another. Right? There is no ulterior motive that they have for coming. They're not coming to church because there are other business people here that they can then make business connections with and, and further their, their business and, and help things grow. They're not here to, to, to do that. They're not here to make other connections. They're here because they want to see disciples be made. And, and disciples who are authentic Disciples who are devoted to learning God's word, who are devoted to fellowshipping with other church members, proclaiming the gospel through the sacraments, as well as praying together. Churches that are devoted to these things are churches that end up making disciple-making disciples because each of these aspects go into that. You see, that that reveals that that making disciples requires more than just telling other people the good news about Jesus or urging the pastor to do that. Certainly, we need to go out and we need to tell other people the good news of Jesus, right? And we can't make disciples as we looked at in the past. We can't make disciples unless we go, unless we speak the gospel to them. And we certainly have to do that. We need to encourage our pastors to do that. We need to encourage other people to do that. But speaking the gospel is just one step in the disciple-making process. If you remember when we looked at that text last week in Matthew chapter 28, we, we also saw that we are then to go and train others to obey all of what God commands. 
You see, there are other activities that are involved than just speaking the good news to them. Activities that are highlighted in this particular verse. But here's the thing, we, we cannot participate in these activities together unless we live in authentic community with one another. When you think about your church involvement, you know, is your church involvement authentic? Is it genuine? Are you here because you're devoted to your growth, the growth of others and, and furthering Jesus' kingdom? Or are you here for another reason all together? You see, if we're going to be a church that, that grows, if we're going to impact the community in which we live for Jesus, we've got to be here for the right reason. We've got to be authentic. We've got to gather together with one another for the same reasons that the early church gathered together with one another. We have to be a church that is aligning itself with God's Word and allowing God's Word to drive everything that we do. And along with being authentic, we also learn that, that Jesus has another desire for His church. Jesus desires His disciples to live interdependently with one another. And we see this in verses 44. And as we read through this, I want you to notice that there are two words, the two words together. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And look what happened here. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What I want to draw your attention to are those two words together. They appear in verse 44 and in verse 46. And while our English translation translates it as just a simple word together in English, it is actually two separate Greek words. And as you can guess, they have two separate Meanings. The first is in verse 44, and the Greek word is epi, and it has to do with the idea of physical location. And what this tells us is that the early church gathered together in the same place, which means that we are to live in close proximity to one another. You see, the early church, it was not a, a small community. We were told, as you read a little bit earlier in verse 41, that there were 3,000 people who were initially saved at Peter's preaching and Pentecost. And then when we look down in verse 47, we say that the Lord is adding to their number day by day. We don't know how many people the Lord is adding to their number, but day by day, people were coming into their community or coming into the church. And so this was a large community. Now, to be sure, some of those people from Pentecost, you know, they, they went back home to their, their own uh, hometowns, uh, but, but many people stayed there in Jerusalem. They ended up selling their land, and they, and they gathered together with one another in community. Now, we don't know what the, the, the early church's living quarters look like, I mean, but we do know that, that they sold their land, they sold their possessions, and they, they all moved in together so that they could live in close proximity to one another. Now, I don't believe that this means that, that we all need to put our homes up on the market. We need to, to secure a plot of land or we need to start building on this plot of land that we have here and, and, and build our, our homes and gather together in community. I don't, I don't believe that's what Acts is teaching us. See, Acts is uh, a, both a, a descriptive and a prescriptive text. And many of, many of what, what we read here is descriptive. It is describing 
what took place in the early church, not necessarily prescribing exactly what we should do. Right here, it's describing the early church's activities as they gathered together in community with one another. Now, that doesn't mean that this text is not beneficial for us today. Right? Just because it, it is a descriptive text doesn't mean that we can't gain something from that text. It doesn't mean that it doesn't apply to us. This text does apply to us. God has given us this text in His Word for a reason. It's not just as, as a history. Uh, it, is, it is to teach us something. And so what, is it, what does it teach us? How can we as 21st century Christians take this text, we read about these folks who gathered together with one another, who, who sold their possessions and moved in. How does that apply to us? Well, what I believe it means is that we are to be members of a church that is local to us. You see, the, the church that we attend should be in the same community in which we live. We should be able to run into one another as we are out and about going about our day, right? We go to the supermarket or we go to Walmart or we go, you know, wherever it is that we go, we should be able to run into those whom we are church members with. That means that, that we shouldn't be members of a church outside of the community in which you are located just because that church is like the popular church in, in the region or, or that speaker is the popular speaker and is a celebrity pastor, right? I mean, we shouldn't drive an, an hour to another church when you have plenty of other churches in your area in which you could attend and use your spiritual gifts at that particular church and be in community with those people. Now, now that being said, if you live in an area, and I don't think that, that is reflective of our area, but, but if you live in an area where there is no gospel-believing, gospel-preaching churches, certainly drive to the nearest gospel-believing, gospel-preaching churches, right? Don't just attend and be a member of some liberal church that's not preaching the gospel at all just to be local in your community, right? I mean, local can extend out. But for those of us who live in Red Oak, for those of us who live in Dallas and, and in its suburbs, uh, there are plenty of gospel-believing, gospel-preaching, gospel-centered churches that you can be a member of. And so don't just drive halfway across the Metroplex because that's the, the popular church in the area. Instead, plug in right here in your own community. We need to live in proximity with those that we attend church with. If we don't, then, then we're not going to gather together with them outside of church. We're not gonna we're not gonna get coffee with them. We're not going to, you know, have them over for dinner because it's gonna be a hassle. It's gonna be a burden for that to take place, especially in the Metroplex with the traffic that, that we experience. And so we need to live in close proximity to one another, just as the early church did. We need to attend and and more important than that, we need to be members of a local church. And the idea that we must be a part of a local church gains even more traction when we look at the second together in verse 46. It's the Greek word homothumadon. Literally, this Greek word means to have the same fiery passion as to be intensely unified with one another as fans are on a football field. My iPad just crashed, so let me find my place in my notes here. Here we go. It is to be, like, have the same fiery intention that, that other people do. Now, now I know that, that many of you like football. 
Um, and, and if you don't like football being from Red Oak, at least you attend the, the homecoming festivities. Um, and when you attend the homecoming festivities, when you, when you go to the parade, when you go to the, the pep rally, uh, when you go to the football game, you don't sit there, you know, half asleep. Uh, you're not there half asleep. No, no, that's not what you are doing. You are there, you are engaged in the activities that are taking place. You are there cheering on the home team. And, and, and if you're at the game and, and Red Oak is driving down the field and you're able to take a bird's eye view of, of the stands, if you're there at the game and Red Oak's driving down the field for a winning touchdown, you're not just sitting there half asleep. No, no, you are standing up. You are cheering. You are high-fiving one another. Or maybe you're giving some air high-fives now or some fist bumps, you know, because of the coronavirus and all of that stuff. But, but the point is, you're engaged. You've got this fiery passion with one another. That's why some translations translate this as one accord. And as fun as football games are, especially if you're team wins, the, this word doesn't just carry the idea that, that we would be in one accord at a sporting event with one another. It goes much deeper than these cursory, cursory relationships that we might have with one another. It carries the idea that we are to be together, that we are to, to live and operate in one accord with one another. We are to have a deep spiritual and emotional connection with one another. That's what this word is telling us. And so, and so what we see here then is that we are to live interdependently. Not, not, not non-dependent, but interdependently. Living interdependently means that we both live together in proximity and in dependent community. Now think about the example of the Redwoods that, that I opened with. They they existed in proximity to one another, right? They're all stacked up close together. In many other forests, they have trees that are all stacked up close together to, to one another. But, but they also depended on one another. They live in interdependent community. And that's how the first church lived. That's how, that's how we are to live. We are to live in interdependent community. And living in interdependent community, of course, means that we live in proximity to one another, but but interdependent community takes us much deeper than proximity. It takes us to, in, in some sense, I guess it's easy for us to live in proximity to one another. It's easy to attain. All it takes is us living in the same community with one another, attending the same church or Sunday school class or small group to, with one another, uh, you know, fist bumping, air high-fiving now, right? Saying hey, waving hey across the sanctuary and things like that as we have to do right now. But, but hopefully when we get past the coronavirus, we're shaking one another's hands, we're giving one another hugs, we're saying hey, we're kind of chit-chatting a little bit. I mean, that, that's living in proximity to one another. In some sense, that, that is easy for us to attain. You just attend church. You just gather together on a regular basis. And while proximity is easy for us to attain, it is the first and a necessary ingredient to living in interdependent community. But here's the thing, we, we can't stop proximity, right? Interdependent community is, is also our goal. We have to keep going until we're living lives that are dependent on one another for our growth and our godliness. 
We need to get to a place where we believe that we need each other to grow in Christ. We must realize that, that we need more than the Bible and a, a quiet place to grow spiritually. I mean, don't get me wrong. We've got to have our time alone with Jesus, right? I have my time alone with Jesus every morning. I try to get up early, get me get, get the coffee going, you know, get the dog out like we talked about in the past. And then I sit down with my iPad when, it, when it's actually working. And I, and I read using the Read Scripture app that, that we talked about at the beginning of the year that I'll probably talk about at the beginning of this next year. It's a great tool in order to read through the Bible in a year. And I open that up, I read it, and then I... I do some reflecting on the text. I mean, we need our time alone in God's Word, but we also need our time with one another. We've got to gather together with one another in interdependent community. We've got to believe that we need one another in order to to grow in Christ. Remember, we are created in the image of God. God is... God lives in interdependent community within the Trinity. We need to live in interdependent community. As, as we see now during this pandemic, we need, we need one another. We must live with one another. We have to recognize that, that we need one another to grow, that we cannot grow on our own, that we cannot remain steadfast on our own, that we can't weather those storms like those redwoods do on our own. See, if we don't recognize that, then we're not going to ask somebody to pray for us. We're not going to ask somebody to hold us accountable. We're not going to share our struggles or or our fears with somebody else and ask for counsel. We're not going to ask people to gather together with us in Bible study. We're going to think we've got it all figured out, that we can do it on our own. But that's not true. If we want to grow in Christ, if we want to accomplish our our mission as the church, then we must recognize that we've got to live in proximity with one another. And we have to live in interdependent community with one another. And we're not just talking about being open to uh, helping another person physically. Certainly, and I want to downplay, certainly we have to help other people physically, right? We need people who are going to go to somebody's house and help them fix something or, or move something. We need people who are going to cook other folks' food when, when they're sick or, or something has happened in, in their family and they just can't, they can't get to that. We need people who are going to give other people rides and, and do all kind of other physical things for one another. We need that. That's what it means to be a part of a church, that we are, that we are serving one another. But we also have to serve one another in in a spiritual way as well. You see, our, our needs go much deeper than these physical needs. See, we need to live in interdependent community because we need to grow spiritually. It's a necessary ingredient to spiritual growth. The first church recognized the importance of, of interdependent community when it came to their spiritual growth, certainly their physical growth as well, but, but their spiritual growth too. This is what drove them to to sell everything, to move in together with one another, to gather together on a daily basis. And as they gathered together to be sure they met one another's physical needs, but, but they also met one another's spiritual needs. And that's what caused them to grow. You see, the first church saw their need for one another. Do we see our need for one another? Are we willing to be open and transparent 
so that we can meet another's need and somebody else can meet our need. See, if we want to be a growing and vibrant church that is making disciple, making disciples, we must live in interdependent community with one another. Community where we depend on one another both physically and especially spiritually. Now, how do we do that? How do we develop that type of community? Well, we can start by looking at what took place in the early church. And when we look at what took place in the early church, we learn that they did several things as they gathered together, right? They, they first and foremost, as, as you look at, at the text, I mean, the first thing that it tells us here in verse 42 is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I mean, that comes first in the text. It doesn't come last, and I believe it comes first in the text for a reason. Because this is the foundation of where everything else came. Right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And as they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, they, they, they learned what it looked like for them to be aligned with God's will. And as they learned what it looked like to be aligned with God's will, as they, as they learned how God loved them through Jesus' sacrifice on their behalf, as they learned how God was a promise-keeping God who was faithful to them, and, and it is His promises that He's kept all throughout the centuries, shows His love and His, His care for them. And as they learned about God's love, as they learned about His care for them as they learn how he wanted them to live in community with one another well these other things took place they prayed for one another they they certainly shared one another's each other's burdens they laughed they they cried they they parented they they ate together they they celebrated the lord's supper together proclaiming the gospel in visible form to to each other and to the world that was that was watching that jesus is their savior they served each other and the community they, they sacrificed for one another they met one another's needs they extended hospitality to those who lived around them they lived on mission together seeking to make disciple making disciples and helping one another grow in Christ. And it began by them being devoted to God's Word, to aligning themselves with God's Word. And we see what, what springs out of that. See, these are the activities that the early church did. And, and along with these activities, they also saw themselves as, as a necessary part of the body of Christ. They knew that, that if they were not there, that they would be missed. That if they were not using their spiritual gifts, that the church would not grow. Other people in the community would not grow. As well as they were willing to share their lives with one another. They were open. They were transparent. They shared more than just their physical needs with one another. They also shared their, their spiritual needs with others. You see, we must not only participate in the same activities as they do, but we must see ourselves as a necessary part of the body of Christ and we must be willing to share our lives with one another. We must be willing to, to open up to one another. You see, those that you attend church with, man, they, they should know how to pray for you. And, and I'm not just talking about physical prayer. Spiritually, they should know your fears. They should know your struggles. They should know your joys. They should know your idols. They should know your hopes. They should know your dreams. They, those people that you attend church with, man, they should, they should know you. 
Now, I know hearing that sounds a bit invasive. You're like, well, I don't want people to know my fears and my, my hopes and my dreams and my idols, right? I want, I want people to think that I am a good Christian. I, I want people to see this, this facade that I have created of a growing Christian. Well, if we think that and we act like that, that's how we end up with all these scandals in the church. Scandals with pastors, scandals with church members, scandals with Bible study teachers and Sunday school leaders and, and you name it. They don't feel as if they can share their struggles with other people. This is especially true for pastors. And you wonder how this guy who is gathering together in God's Word by himself, I mean, basically every single day he's, he's studying and he's, and he's preaching and he's teaching Bible studying, he's counseling and all of these things, and then ends up committing adultery. We just saw this with the famous pastor in New York City. How does that, how does that happen? It's because they don't feel as if they can be open with one another. They don't feel as if they can, they can share their struggles with other people because they're supposed to be the pastor. And that's magnified in pastoral ministry, but that's also true in, in the pews as well. And we've got to get over that. We've got to realize that, that we're not perfect. We've got to realize that, that Jesus has come to save imperfect sinners. He hasn't come to save perfect people. And He doesn't make us perfect. His blood covers our imperfections. This is the idea of preaching the gospel to ourselves. We've got to remind ourselves who we really are. We are sinners in Christ. We are people who are imperfect. And we are people who in this life will never become perfect. We are growing into perfection as we grow to be more like Christ. And eventually in when Jesus returns in the kingdom to come, we will, we will cast off this body of sin and, and we will be able to live as perfect people. But now we are not perfect. But, but God doesn't cast us out. God continues time after time after time to, to remember Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. He stands as our mediator at the, at the right hand of the Father, mediating for us, advocating for us. He has died on our behalf, that His blood covers us. We've got to remember that. We are not perfect people. And so we must be willing to share our lives with others because the idea is that we should be growing in Christ as we are casting off this, this unbelief, as we're casting off this, this, this trust in ourselves, as we're, as we're coming to understand who we are. The more we grow in Christ, the more we should see ourselves as, as sinners, not as perfect people. Because the more we understand who we are and the more we understand who God is and, and what He desires of us and for us, and understanding who we are in Christ and the salvation He provides should help us to be able to share with other people. You see, we can't keep people at arm's length. We've, we've got to be willing to let people in that's how a body operates right the arm doesn't keep everybody else at arm's length 
It's all connected together, and because it's all, the body is all connected together, the body is able to function and to grow. And that goes with our spiritual gifts, but I think that also goes with, with us gathering together in interdependent community with one another so that we might grow spiritually. We must depend on one another. We must live in interdependent community. And the product of living authentic and and interdependent lives, the product of living as a church that is aligned with God's will, allowing God's word to drive everything that we do, as a church that aligns themselves with God's will, experiences growth. This is where this series has been driving. As we align ourselves with God's will, it'll be a church that experiences renewal and revival and growth. The end of verse 47 The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now today's message has primarily been focused on living in an authentic community and and interdependent community with one another. But but the full picture of the early church in these verses is the church that is aligned with God's will. and, And all their actions were derived from daily devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. And through the apostles' teaching, they learned God's will for their life in their church. They learned what it meant to live as God's people in community with one another. And as they lived that out in community with one another, each and every single day, they experienced growth. You see, the early church lived out their future citizenship in the kingdom of heaven in the here and now. And the result was growth. The growth the early church experienced, it wasn't something that was manufactured. It wasn't something that they did in and of themselves. It wasn't due to some great marketing strategy or a charismatic personality or exciting programs. Instead, their growth was a direct result of God using them as his instruments to bring others to salvation in Christ. We we aren't told that they added to their numbers daily. We're told that the Lord added to their number daily. You see, Jesus, Jesus will build his church. He will build his church with people who are aligned with his will, as well as those who live authentically and interdependently with one another, devoted to God's will, found in God's word. And as we finish the series today, my hope and and my prayer is that that you have learned what it looks like for you to, to live aligned with God's will. As we've seen today, it looks like us living in authentic and interdependent community with one another. It looks like us devoting ourselves to God's word, to to learning God's word, and to to living that out in churches who align themselves with God's will, who allow God's word to drive everything they do, who listen to the Lord, allowing God's spirit to direct and to to guide them. Those churches end up making disciple-making disciples, and they experience growth. You see, Acts 2 is, is, is a fitting chapter for us to finish this series out on because it is an example of a church that has based its ministry on God's Word and it is an example of a church that in turn experiences growth. And how about us? How, how about Eastridge? Will we be an Acts 2 church? A church that is devoted to God's will found in God's word. A church that is fully and completely aligned with God's will, allowing God's will to drive everything that we do. Will we be in Acts 2 church? 
You see, I fully believe that if we commit ourselves to, to living as God desires, as if we commit ourselves to aligning ourselves with God's will, we will experience growth, we will experience renewal. Jesus will use us to reach this community for Christ as we shine brightly for Him. He won't snuff out our lampstand. Our lampstand will shine brightly for Him. Lord willing, if, if we align ourselves with God's will, and our numbers will be added to day by day as we move into the new year of 2021. And that's how you can respond this morning. You can respond by determining to live fully aligned with God's will from this point on so that you might see continual growth and so that the church might see continual growth. You can purpose to be an Acts 2 church today, a church that is devoted to living an authentic and interdependent community with one another as we allow God's word to drive every single decision and ministry and thing that we do. Not tradition, not what we used to do, but what God's Word says. Will you purpose to be an Acts 2 church today? And if you aren't a believer, now is an opportunity for you to turn to the Lord. You know, to, to align yourself with, with God's will and, and God's purpose for your life. To experience the hope that only Jesus can offer. He truly is our Savior. He is the one who has taken God's wrath on our behalf. He is the one who provides us with a transformed life. He's the one who gives us hope for the future when there is none that the world gives us. If we want to experience that hope, we recognize that Jesus is our Savior alone. We don't seek to save ourselves. And we turn to Him. We repent of our unbelief. We, we repent of, of believing that, that we are our own God, that we can save ourselves. We repent of those actions and, and we turn to believe and trust in Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior. If you do that, you can experience salvation today. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day for us to purpose to be a church that is aligned with God's will in Acts 2 church. Won't you make that your purpose today? Won't you turn to Jesus today? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this day and this opportunity to gather together, though virtually, to finish out this series, Lord, to praise you, to see that it looks like for us to live as a church might be authentic and interdependent, that we might be a church that allows God's Word to drive everything that we do. Lord, help us to take this message and to apply it to our own lives and to the life of our church here at Eastridge. Help us, Lord, to be an Acts 2 church. And Lord, if there's somebody who is watching this here this morning, Lord, who doesn't know you, we, we ask, Lord, we ask that you would use us that you would use this message this morning to add people to our church. We know that it is you who build your church. And Lord, we ask that you might, you might build our church as we see disciples being made. Build our church, Lord, 
as we move into a new year here in just a couple of weeks. And Lord, bring those who don't know you to yourself so that they might experience the hope of Jesus. They might experience salvation and they might experience growth and they might seek to glorify you as they live out on mission with us as a church. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.